Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your presence with us this morning. Would you come now and fill our hearts and minds with your spirit that each one of us would receive from you this morning. Amen. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Whenever we think about forgiveness, we always think of a story, don't we? Forgiveness happens as part of someone's story. For me, I remember a time um, many years ago when I was a very junior nurse and I'd started on a new ward and the senior nurse asked me to do something and later in the day she came up to me and said, have you done it? And I had completely forgotten. But I just lied straight out to her face. I said, oh yes, just to save my face. And I remember that evening feeling really guilty, feeling quite shocked at how easily I had lied, and realizing again, after praying with someone, God's great forgiveness. Well, there was another time uh, a few years <clears throat> after that in my previous church. I was um, volunteering at Kids Church, as so often is the case. And I was working with someone who said something to me that really hurt. She. Um, she got angry with me for something, and I was really upset about it, and I went home, and I was feeling all churned up, and I realized that I had to talk to her about it. I had to phone her and talk to her. So I did, and through that conversation, when we both apologized to each other and shared forgiveness with each other, our friendship, our relationship grew stronger, and it was really wonderful. There are so many moments, aren't there? That's just two very small ones. Uh, there are so many moments in all of our lives when we say with great relief, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And of course, the story of Jesus is marked by forgiveness, isn't it? In all his dealings with everyone, he demonstrates God's forgiveness. In the story we heard today, he declares forgiveness over the invalid. Son, your sins are forgiven. And he does the same with the woman who anoints him. What's really interesting, though, is when you read the gospel accounts, Jesus doesn't often use the word forgiveness. It's rarely used, actually. He rarely teaches directly on forgiveness. And nowhere do we hear him say the words, I forgive you. 
But of course, at the end of his life, he cries out to his father, asking his father to forgive those who are torturing and killing him. Just because Jesus might not have spoken the word forgiveness very much, his whole life, his whole ministry shouts it out, doesn't it? He was all about welcoming people into God's mercy and into his grace. He wanted to include those who felt they were excluded. He wanted to embrace those who felt they were not worthy of being forgiven. It's as if Jesus lived forgiveness and showed forgiveness more than he spoke about it. And I think as his followers, perhaps that's a challenge to us. Do we live forgiveness more than we speak about it? So the story I want to share with you this morning is a story of a friend of mine. Her name is Leslie Belinda. And 30 years ago, here she is, me and her. her it was a long time ago. Uh, 30 years ago or so, I went out to Rwanda and Leslie was working there as a tear fund community nurse. And we lived together in the same house for about seven months. So during that time became really, really good friends. When Leslie first went to Rwanda a couple of years before I got there, she lived with a Rwandan family for about three months. And so she learned the language, Kinyarwandan, fluently, and she became really accustomed to the culture there. And after I left, about a year after I left, um, well, while I was there, actually, uh, her friendship with a Rwandan pastor, a local pastor, blossomed. And um, after I left, about a year after I left, they got married. And I gathered the... I wasn't there, and I didn't... Uh, I just saw photos, but I gather the wedding was a great celebration of, with lots of people, lots of singing, lots of dancing, and probably a few cows, as there would be. Uh, and that was all happened in about 1992, 1992. Then in 1994, the year I got married, actually, as some of many of you will know, um, Rwanda experienced the most dreadful genocide. Um, it, within just a matter of months, um, nearly, well, they estimate around about a million people lost their lives. And Charles was one of those Rwandans who was killed in the genocide. Leslie escaped because she was out of the country when the fighting started. She was visiting her sister in Nairobi, and she didn't return to the country for a long time, for many years. Leslie is now... Um, an Anglican priest. She's in central London. This is her on her ordination with her brother. And uh, over the years, she's written um, a couple of books about her experience. Uh, she's worked alongside Desmond Tutu in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was originally set up in South Africa, but has now, uh, is now is, exists in a number of countries, including Northern Ireland. And uh, she wrote her dissertation on forgiveness. So last week, I went to see Leslie, as you can imagine I would. Because for the past 30 years, Leslie's life has been marked by forgiveness. My stories were of, hope, thankfully, minor misdemeanors that didn't necessarily hurt anyone too badly. 
But Leslie's story, of course, is one of trauma and horror. Leslie didn't just lose her husband. She lost her job, her future. She lost many, many friends and colleagues. So how does Leslie talk about forgiveness? What does Leslie say about forgiveness? I hope you don't mind if I share with you what she shared with me, some of her story. Uh, the first thing she says, and it's really important to say, that forgiveness is a massive, complex, and complicated thing. <clears throat> it raises many, many questions. And I would hate us to think that we could just unpack it in a short talk this morning and uh, not do it justice. So again, I just encourage you, if you have issues and questions around forgiveness, seek people out, read literature, talk to people, uh, grapple with the questions. But Leslie says, forgiveness can be seen as a process and not as a one-off event. She describes it as a series of choices. And these don't happen in a linear way, a little bit like grief and the process of grief. We go back and forth between them for a long period of time. But basically, we can choose to forgive someone. And this, these choices um, are about four different choices. So the first one she suggests is we choose to acknowledge the reality and horror of what has happened and the strength of our feelings in response to it. It took Leslie many, many years to be completely honest with herself and with others about her response to what had happened to her. She felt so many things, rage, anger, fear, grief, disappointment, betrayal, <clears throat> the list went on. And all of that needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be held, as it were, as part of the process of forgiveness. We must never rush that, and we must never expect others to rush that either. That needs to be brought into the light. Secondly, she would suggest that forgiveness means that we choose not to take action to revenge or retaliate for what has been done to us. Leslie was in no position to retaliate. She wasn't there, and she couldn't have done anything anyway. But not being able to doesn't stop the feeling of wanting to. Our sense of justice often means that we uh, believe someone should pay for what they have done. We think perhaps we will feel better if they suffer like we have suffered. But in the end, uh, we know, don't we, that the pain and the uh, hurt just continues and magnifies. So for us to forgive means that we choose not to punish those who have hurt us. Thirdly, forgiveness means that we choose to recognize the common humanity we share with the one who has wronged us. We try and walk with empathy in their shoes and recognize that we too could have trodden their path. After 10 years, 
Leslie went back to Rwanda to investigate the death of Charles. And as far as she knows, she was able to meet the man responsible or some of the men responsible for his death in a prison in Kigali. And she would suggest that this is possibly one of the most challenging aspects of forgiveness because I think we're tempted to distance ourselves from those who do wrong. We're tempted to think of ourselves as completely different. We even sometimes call people monsters, don't we? But actually, people are people, and we must never dehumanize another person. We all share in a fallen humanity. And fourthly, forgiveness means we choose to see the offender as a child of God, made in the image of God, and therefore capable of goodness and kindness. And in doing this, we pray that they would accept God's help to be changed and transformed. And this is why, of course, Leslie's story is a story of hope. Leslie was able to pray to her father, Father, forgive them. And she was able to live a life free of her pain. And Leslie's story is our story. It's our story whenever we choose to forgive anyone. But Leslie's story and our story is, of course, God's story. God is the one who takes the initiative in forgiveness. It's always God who chooses to forgive. And so God's character reflects what we have learned about forgiveness. Firstly, God sees the reality and horror of our sin. He doesn't deny it or say it doesn't matter. He is a good judge. He sees things clearly. He brings things into the light. Things that need to be exposed, he exposes. And God's judgment gives us hope because he knows what is good and what is bad. God judges us, but he chooses not to punish us. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, talks of the kindness, the forbearance, the patience of God, not wanting to punish us, but wanting each of us to come to a place of repentance. And we know that God ultimately chose not to punish us, but to lay the punishment that we deserved on Jesus. And thirdly, of course, God in Jesus shares our humanity. Just as we are called to walk in the shoes of another, Jesus walks in our shoes. Jesus empties himself to become human, to feel what we feel, to live our limited, struggling life. But he does it perfectly. He shares everything it means to be human, except to fail his father. He is human, but he doesn't fall short, not like us. And because Jesus never fell short and never falls short of the glory of God, he can bring about that redemption, that transformation that we all need and long for. 
It is through Jesus' grace and mercy, through his power, that we and others can change. We can make those difficult choices to forgive. And we, as we make those difficult choices to forgive, we reflect the image of God in us. So, we do believe in the forgiveness of sins. Our faith is a story of the forgiveness of sins. It's a story of a God who forgives and forgives and forgives. He is the one who runs out to us, longing to restore the relationship that we have with him and longing for us to restore the relationship that we have with one another. And I believe that the more we accept his great and full forgiveness for ourselves, the more we're able to forgive others when they hurt us. Be, be encouraged, be reassured that if you are holding on to hurt or pain or bitterness, then you will be able through, it will take time and it's not easy, but there is hope for forgiveness because of the one who forgives us. God is faithful, and he makes choices so that we ourselves can choose a life of forgiveness. This is our story, and as Charles Wesley puts it, oh, for a thousand tongues that we should sing of this wonderful God. Amen.